Welcome to the Notorious Bakersfield Podcast. I'm Robert Peterson, and I'm here to tell you about some of Bakersfield's most notorious crimes, events, and characters that have made an impact on the Central California Valley community. Are you ready to hear a notorious Bakersfield story? Good. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to the 19th episode of the Notorious Bakersfield podcast. If it's Tuesday, it's time for another Notorious Bakersfield story. I hope everyone had a good week. Um, I wanted to update you all regarding all the suggestions I've gotten from listeners for stories to cover, and I appreciate everyone's input and suggestions. Um, Let me start off with the most requested story, um, the Vincent Brothers murder of his wife, Joni, um, his mother-in-law, Ernestine Harper, and his three small children. This is the most requested story I have um, gotten lately, and I will eventually cover it. I'm just not in a hurry to do so, and here's why. It happened in 2003. It's hard to believe it's already been 18 years, but it happened in the age of the internet, and all anybody has to do to learn about this case is a simple Google search. It is such a notorious crime. Other podcasts have covered it. Um, If you haven't noticed, I like to cover stories that are more difficult to find on the internet. I don't know why, but it's what I really enjoy uncovering long forgotten stories that I've never heard about. It's just what I enjoy. I'm not saying I won't cover the brothers' murders. I will eventually. It's definitely on my list. But, you know, an interesting thing happened to me. I I was with uh, three friends, and I happened to mention this um, case to them, the Vincent brothers' murders, and the three people didn't know about it. So maybe I need to reevaluate it. Maybe 18 years is long enough. So, um, yeah, it's on my list, but I'm just not in a hurry. Um, Dr. Cotterack. Um, she was the physician who climbed down the chimney of her boyfriend's house or ex-boyfriend's house and died. It's a really bizarre story. I know a couple of her former patients and they have nothing but good things to say about her. She was highly respected by her patients and colleagues alike. Um, I intend to cover that eventually. The Tina Blunt unsolved murder, I think in the 90s, um, it's definitely on my list. Javier Cazares, um, the 19, or 2018 um, spree murderer, um, it culminated from a domestic dispute. He killed his wife and several other people. I think there are a total of five victims altogether. I listened to it um, unfold on the scanner, actually. It was a chaos. Um, there were several victims in multiple locations, and the Kern County Sheriff's Dispatcher did a fantastic job of keeping it straight and getting the most up-to-minute information of the units in the field. I might cover this. It's just really re- recent. So, um, The Kenneth Mount 1980s crime ring. It, um, they referred to themselves as the corporation, and Mount was a reserve Bakersfield police officer. Um, the corporation, there were three or four people involved, um, murdered a prominent Kern County farmer, William DeStephany, and several other people. I intend to cover that. The problem with this case 
is it's really complicated. There are so many characters and so many different crimes involved. But I'll try and figure out an easy way to explain this case eventually. The 1961 case of country and western star Spade Cooley, the murder of his wife. Um, It wasn't in Bakersfield, but it was in Kern County in Willow Springs. Um, But the trial did take place in Bakersfield and at the time was referred to as the trial of the century. I will definitely be covering this case. Um, The murder of CHP Richard Maxwell by Bruce Sons is definitely on my list. Uh, The William Tyak killing of two of his neighbors, a gay couple. It happened in the early 1980s in Glenville, but then again, the trial took place in Bakersfield, and Tyak's business was in Bakersfield. I will definitely eventually be covering this story. The unsolved 1988 murder of Kathleen Heisey, definitely on my list. Um, Paul Holes, a, a former police officer turned TV host, I guess. Um, He featured this on a program that's currently streaming on Oxygen. It's really fascinating. But yeah, it is definitely on my list, and it remains unsolved all these years later. Lords of Bakersfield. I will probably cover these murders individually. I know Robert Price's article in The Californian loosely ties these murders together. I don't necessarily believe they're all related. I know two of them are, but I don't think they're all connected. So I'm going to take a different approach than Robert Price did, but I will cover them probably individually. Um, Hank Klassen, he was a retired CHP officer murdered in his Oildale home by a stranger who just knocked on his door. And it's this case is definitely on my radar. I will be covering it. Stephen Catlin. He's considered a serial killer because he killed three separate victims by poisoning two wives and his mother. And uh, I will be covering this probably a movie was actually made about this poison by love, I think is the name of it. And uh, so anyway, I I might cover it for around uh, Valentine's Day. Uh, David Keith Rogers, the Kern County Sheriff's deputy who was convicted of murdering two women in the 1980s. That is definitely on my list. And I know I'm leaving some off, but those are some of the cases I've gotten requests to cover. If you have any suggestions, feel free to email me at NotoriousBakersfield at gmail.com. There's no space between Notorious and Bakersfield. Now, time to plug the Halloween tour. The Notorious Bakersfield Halloween tour is still available. It's available throughout the month of October to Halloween. It's a self-paced audio driving tour to some of Bakersfield's historical crime scene locations. The response to this tour so far has been remarkable. To everyone who has purchased the tour, thank you so much for supporting Notorious Bakersfield. To those who are still interested in purchasing the tour, email me. NotoriousBakersfield at gmail.com. There's no space between Notorious and Bakersfield. And I'll send you the details of the tour and a link to purchase it. For $20, you can load up your car or van or bus or whatever you have with your friends and family and take them on a really creepy ride. Thanks again to everyone who has already purchased the tour. I appreciate it. Now, let me jump into this episode.
Whenever a violent crime occurs at a well-known institution in a community, the community takes notice. People pay attention. And that's certainly what happened when 24-year-old Bakersfield College student Francis Lauren Brown was viciously attacked and killed on the Bakersfield College campus in 1977. And here's that story. Twenty-four-year-old Frances Lauren Brown and her husband Jeff lived in Arvin. The couple had a hectic schedule. Both had full-time jobs and both were students at Bakersfield College. Frances, or Fran as her friends and family called her, was an elementary school teacher's aide in Arvin and Jeff worked in the oil fields. They're both taking evening classes at BC. Fran's goal was to eventually become a teacher. Fran and Jeff's class schedules were different, so they'd often take separate cars and meet each other between classes for a bite to eat, visit, or help one another with homework. On November 15, 1977, Fran was running late for that evening's class. She pulled into the college's northeast parking lot near Panorama and Mount Vernon a little after 5 p.m. She found a parking spot near Jeff's car. It was a chilly evening, and Jeff was sitting inside his car waiting for his wife. Since she was running late for class, the couple discussed whether or not Fran should skip going to class altogether, or if they should both go grab some dinner together. Ultimately, since her class was going to be over at about 6 p.m., Fran decided to go ahead and go to class. Jeff agreed to wait for her, and they'd go to dinner once Fran was out of class. Jeff stayed in his car and worked on some homework. It was dark, but the lights in the parking lot gave him enough light to read. At 6.10 p.m., Jeff looked up to see his wife near BC's outdoor theater walking towards the parking lot. As she reached the parking lot, the couple made eye contact. Fran smiled, and Jeff smiled back. Jeff then looked back down to his homework. He'd only just briefly looked away from his wife when he suddenly heard a thud. When he looked up, he saw his wife fall to the ground. When she hit the ground, a stranger was lifting her by the arms, attempting to drag her. Jeff jumped from his car. Hey, you son of a bitch, Jeff yelled as he ran towards his wife and the man dragging her. When the stranger saw Jeff rushing to his wife's aid, the assailant dropped Fran and took off running. Jeff briefly pursued the attacker, but returned to aid his wife, who was unconscious on the ground and bleeding profusely from a wound to the back of her head. Fran's purse, books, and keys were strewn about on the ground near where she lay. Another student who'd been following behind both Fran and her assailant also came to help. A passerby drove to a nearby liquor store to find a phone to call police and medical aid. It only took a few minutes for the first Bakersfield police officer to arrive on scene. This officer was able to get a suspect description from both Jeff and the witness who was following Fran and the assailant. The description both gave was that of a young black male wearing a maroon letterman's jacket with white sleeves. The officer broadcast the description over the radio. Found nearby in the parking lot was a metal table leg that had been used as a club in the attack. The witness told police he saw the suspect with the table leg. The assailant was using it like a walking stick before he attacked the victim. More police officers arrived on scene before an ambulance rushed Fran to Kern Medical Center. 
In only a matter of a few minutes, the Bakersfield College campus was swarming with law enforcement searching for a suspect. A dragnet of officers on foot, in patrol cars, and motorcycles enveloped the campus. About 10 minutes after the attack, a Bakersfield motorcycle officer detained a subject between the gym and the stadium. He fit the suspect's description, but wasn't wearing a letterman's jacket. The subject told officers his name was Willie Edward Level, and he was on campus to meet a friend. Level was a day student at Bakersfield College. While officers questioned Level, they noticed blood on his hands and blood stains on his white tennis shoes. Level led police to his car and signed a form giving them permission to search it. In the trunk, investigators discovered a maroon letterman's jacket with white sleeves. On the sleeves, fresh blood splatter. Level was arrested and taken to police headquarters for more questioning. Francis Lauren Brown died at Kern Medical Center at 7.18 p.m. that evening, about an hour after the attack. Her cause of death was later determined to be skull fracture with laceration and contusion of the brain. When police began questioning Level, they advised him of his Miranda rights, that he had the right to remain silent and to have an attorney present for questioning. Level waived these, but he did ask for his mother. He wanted a witness present for questioning who would be sympathetic, and detectives basically said no. They said they'd record the interview if that made him comfortable. That way, there'd be a record of the interview and Nobody can misconstrue his words. Level agreed to this compromise, and the interview was recorded. Level stated in the recorded interview that he said to Fran as he saw her walking across campus, quote, hey, do you have a few minutes? Unquote. He said he wanted to get her phone number. Level claims Fran responded to his question with this, quote, I don't have any time for any inward unquote. And she walked away. On the tape recording of Level's statement to police, he described the assault how I described it. Detectives asked Level if there was anything else that happened that they hadn't asked about. Level answered, not that I can think of. At the end of the recording, Level confirmed that he was read his rights and that he was not promised or threatened in any way and that he gave this tape-recorded statement freely and voluntarily. Back at BC the next day, most people who had heard about the attack didn't know that the victim had died. Naturally, once word started spreading that the victim of the assault had passed away, Bakersfield College students, faculty, and employees were shaken, especially those taking evening classes. They'd heard about previous isolated fights on campus or the occasional stolen car from a parking lot, but nothing compared to this level of violence and brutality. Dr. Edward Simonson, the chancellor for the Kern Community College District at the time, promised BC students and faculty that security would immediately be beefed up. He stated that nothing of this magnitude had ever happened in the college's 60-plus-year history. 
the Bakersfield College security force was expanded from four officers to seven. Francis Lauren Brown was laid to rest in Arvin on November 18, 1977, one week before Thanksgiving. There were several pretrial hearings in early 1978 where Level's attorney argued to the court to suppress evidence, especially the tape-recorded interview he gave police immediately after his arrest. That argument was rejected. Due to the publicity surrounding this case, Level's attorney also requested a change of venue for the trial. A Kern County judge rejected that request. However, an appeals court later granted it, and the trial was transferred from Kern County to Ventura County. Kern County District Attorney Al Letty prosecuted the case. The evidence against Level was compelling. There was the metal table leg that was used in the attack. It had Level's fingerprints on it. Also, lab tests the police conducted on Level's hands showed metal residue from the metal leg. There were the two eyewitnesses, the victim's husband, who didn't witness the attack firsthand, but did witness someone matching Level's description, dragging her after she collapsed. The other eyewitness observed Level walking behind Fran with the metal table leg immediately prior to the attack. Prosecution witnesses at the trial testified they never saw Fran engage verbally or otherwise with her assailant before the attack. Jeff, Fran's husband, testified during the trial that Fran looked calm. She didn't look like she was in a hurry when they exchanged glances as she walked across the parking lot. Then there was the maroon letterman's jacket with white sleeves with bloodstains that police found in Level's car and the blood on Level's hands and tennis shoes. But the most damning evidence against Level was the tape-recorded interview, basically a confession he gave detectives after his arrest. Level's two main defense arguments were self-defense and diminished capacity. He claimed that when he and Fran Brown had the verbal exchange prior to the attack, Fran reached into her purse. He feared she was going to pull out a weapon. The diminished capacity argument was Level's claim that he consumed a large amount of alcohol and smoked two marijuana joints before the attack. After 17 days of testimony on December 15, 1978, the jury trial concluded with a guilty verdict against Willie Edward Level for the murder of Francis Lauren Brown. You don't think that's the end of it, do you? Nope. Willie Edward Level's conviction was overturned by the Court of Appeals in February 1980. What? In a two-to-one ruling, the appellate court held that Level, requesting his mother be present during police questioning, amounted to him invoking his right to remain silent. People began referring to this as the mommy defense. Did this decision mean that criminal suspects not only have a right to have an attorney present during questioning, they now had a right to their mothers being present? To say this decision was met with outrage would be an understatement. California Attorney General at the time, George Dukemagian, took the case to the United States Supreme Court. The Supreme Court sent the case back to the appeals court for clarification, and the appeals court eventually 
reversed itself. Willie Level's 1978 murder conviction stood, and the mommy defense died. I did an exhaustive search trying to find out what became of Willie Level. According to the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitations, he's no longer incarcerated. Is he alive? I don't know. I couldn't find him on the Social Security Death Index, but that doesn't mean anything. He may have died in prison. I don't know. If there's a keyboard detective out there who has access to better resources than I do, I welcome your input. His name was Willie Edward Level. Every court document has his first name as Willie, not William. So I assume his legal name is Willie, and he was born in 1958. You spell his name W-I-L-L-I-E, common spelling for Edward, and his last name is spelled L-E-V-E-L. So if anybody uh, can do a search out there, if you have good resources, I'd appreciate it. I'm just curious where he is, if he died in prison, if he's still alive. Anyways, resources used to research the story, the Bakersfield, Californian, the Renegade Rip, the Los Angeles Times, caselaw.com, people versus level. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of the Notorious Bakersfield podcast. Remember to follow us on your favorite podcast app. For pictures related to this episode, take a look at the Notorious Bakersfield social media pages, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. This is Robert Peterson. I'll be back next Tuesday with another Notorious Bakersfield story.